On the Empire Podcast this week, we send our consciousnesses back into the bodies of our younger selves to interview X-Men Days of Future Past stars Hugh Jackman and Serena McKellen. Plus, we discuss Brian Singer's return to the X-Mansion in all its glory, and we round up all the usual movie news and nonsense on the only movie podcast that likes to wake up at the dawn of justice but go to bed at the dusk of fiendishness. Hello, Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy to create a professional website, blog, portfolio, or online store. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to squarespace.com and use the offer code EMPIRE. Write that one down. You may need to remember it. EMPIRE. As ever, three is the number of people who are joining me on this week's podcast. They are podcast editor supreme and all-round dog lover, Ali Plum. Hello. Planet of the Apes, Guru Supreme, and all-round banana lover, Dan Jolin. Ook, ook. And Geek Queen Supreme and all-round Winchester Dragon lover, Helen <laughs> O'Hara. Gosh, a Winchester Dragon, all my favourite things in one. We have some questions that you've been sending in all week. Uh, thank you for that. This first one is from Twitter, at Justine Ask, who says, Will Kim Newman ever appear in the pod? And is Tom Waits the greatest musician slash actor to have ever lived? Uh, I'll dress the first one first. Kim Newman will probably appear in the pod. He'll cross oceans of time to be with us uh, when he has something to promote. He uh, <laughs> <laughs> which given given that he's Kim is every five seconds we, so. can't, we can't afford him otherwise he's out of our league <laughs> we can't league. afford him seriously the man is mega expensive but he'll come in and um, and that'll be fun I look forward to having Kim absolutely he's in great in the pod booth at some point right is Tom Waits the greatest musician slash actor to have ever lived in a universe that contains like you know Snoop Dogg's performance and Stars Get Hatch <laughs> or indeed those um, money supermarket efforts that he's doing right now. Have you I seen mean, those? right? Gosh. Have you seen those I always consider William Shatner as a musician foremost <laughs> and an actor second. And the same goes for... Uh, Leonard Nimoy. <laughs> Leonard Nimoy, yeah. <laughs> Russell Crowe. I mean, really? <laughs> he, can, he, he can grow up with the best of them. No, the actual answer to this is, is the boss. Because, of course, he is in High Fidelity. <laughs> and that does make him an actor. And High Fidelity what, is, is one of... Not, not our boss. You old joker. It's always a joy having you in the pod booth, Dan. I love you, Dan. Yeah. I love you. Do come more often, Dan. But surely the uh, the question means a musician who has a great music career and a great acting career. For example, Elvis. And Justin Timberlake. Yes. Elvis had a great music career, not necessarily a great acting career. But does have some great movies in his canon. Does have some great movies in his canon, absolutely. But uh, Justin Timberlake, great music career. And has appeared in really could, good films. You could argue, and has appeared in really great films. I'd, I'd put him ahead of Tom Waits because I'm not a big Tom Waits fan, musically. Mark Wahlberg. But his musical career, is it on a par? Is it really... I mean, what level would we put that at? Well, I mean, you know, I would say it's on a par. Judging by the, the trailers for, for Age of Extinction, I'd say it's on a par with his performance in, in that film, but let's see. Also, bear in mind, <laughs> he was a totally different person back then. He was... Marky Mark and that's a bit like PJ and Duncan and Ant and Deck they're different people that what? was another time what? Chris I'll have to explain this to you but essentially PJ and Duncan are the same people as Ant and Deck no wait but they have different names no. you know like X-Men Days of Future Past they did something similar but with oh okay so PJ and Duncan are young Ant and Deck that's correct oh okay I got you so where do little Ant and Deck fit in? has anyone seen Alien Autopsy? I have. have I was you? on set of Alien Autopsy. Were you? you did I send you? Yeah, <laughs> someone did. Really? You yes. were on set of Alien Autopsy? I was. It was at Elstree Studios. No, sorry, Ealing Studios. And um, they were. I, I interviewed them both when wow. they were wearing bathrobes over whatever their costumes were. I saw the alien that was being autopsied. Spoilers. Yeah. 
Well, Helen, I've known you for too damn long, and that is the best <laughs> thing I've ever heard. What were they like? I hear they're I hear they're lovely. They were absolutely lovely. Yeah, completely delightful. How many yeah. times did you get the names wrong? <laughs> um, I carefully didn't use their names because I couldn't remember which one always stands on the left. I love the uh, the joke in love actually, where Bill Nye he's being interviewed yeah. by him and he goes, "That's a very good question, Ant or Deck, and that's the only good thing about Love Actually." Not true. There's that bit with the signs, which is cute. Which we've oh, do before. not, do no. not go. No, no. Oh, also uh, the bit with Rowan. No, no. Gregor Fisher's quite good, I guess. Oh, I actually really like Hugh Grant prattling about dancing to Girls Aloud. I enjoy that. Yeah, I quite like that as well. Is Tom Waits in love, actually? Well, that's why he isn't the best. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely thought. I've excised most of that movie from my memory. He could well have been in no, love, he wasn't. Actually. He was not in it. Okay. All but right. he would have made it better. <laughs> Would he have done? Okay, interesting. Uh, any other answers? David Bowie had a decent movie career. Yeah, you're right. He has mm. appeared in some really great movies. Now, now I think about it. I mean, I, I'm a bit here and there with the prestige, but uh, you know, the man who fell to earth is is a classic. If you ever want to see a man stir a gin and tonic with a pistol whilst he watches a bank of TV screens, that's your movie. He's great in that. And obviously, Labyrinth as well. I love the Prestige, by the way. Madonna. Where do we stand on Madonna? Where do, where do you stand on Madonna? I actually quite like her in Dick Tracy. I think she's very good in that. Beyonce's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's been good. Eminem was very Eminem good in Eight Once, once, yep. but, you know, that was a that was a great hey, performance. I liked him in um, Funny People, though he wasn't really acting. I suppose there's an argument he was kind of playing himself in Eight Mile as well. But, kind of? Well, I think you, you know, might be right. There were similarities know. to his life. I only realised in retrospect yeah, 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 yeah. that maybe, maybe it was about him a bit. Yeah, Kim Basinger is his mum. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. If anyone's seen The Magic Christian or Give My Regards to Broad Street, then we'll know that Paul McCartney and Ringo Starr should not be up for this discussion. Dolly Parton. Done. <laughs> Let's go home. There's Mick Jagger is in that uh, sci-fi weird movie. Free Jack. Free Jack. Oh, my God. With a crash helmet. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing where someone goes back in time. Is Isn't it? it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. X-Men, Free Jack. Yeah. Well, no, hang on. No, he gets pulled forward in time. Because that's the film where, where Anthony Hopkins wants a new body and Emilio Estevez is a race car driver and he's in, he's in a crash and he's going to die, but they snatch his body just before the moment he dies mm. and take it into the future so that mm. he can become Anthony Hopkins' new body. Ah. And then he escapes and Mick Jagger chases him. Are you saying this wasn't a good film? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> It's just one of those bad films that stays in my head, just, just absolutely lodged in there. Um, I happened to um, see recently on Sky the Country Bears, uh, in which Elton John cameos. And since that's clearly the greatest film ever made, and I think Elton John might, might win this. We Chris Christopherson. Chris, Chris Christopherson. But I will say, I don't think any of us around this table know Chris Christopherson's musical oeuvre well enough to say that he, uh, he, he wins in that category, but he certainly... A fantastic actor. I saw him once on the Johnny Cash show. That'll work. That'll do for me. Chris Christopherson it is. Didn't he sing Islands in the Stream with Dolly Parton? That was Kenny Rogers. Bringing it. Oh, epic How fail. you beardist. You racist. I you can tell bearded men apart. Yeah, that's true. Oh, if they haven't got their tops off, you can't tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> She's um, all about the CW, not C and W. There you go. Uh, I would also suggest the Spice Girls. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Because the film they made. <laughs> if oh. you rewatch Spice Irony World, points. And you should, because Spice World is a film... <laughs> I really, I honestly cannot recommend... If you are ever stuck for something to do, go and watch Spice World. If you've just broken up with somebody, go and watch Spice World. It is fun. There are cameos from everyone. Meatloaf drives a bus. <laughs> Meatloaf! Bob had bitch tits. Yes. Bob had bitch tits. Uh, Spice World uh, is absolutely amazing. I went to see it at the cinema. With Alan coming. When I was at the height of my Spice Girls mania. 
when I could recite all the lyrics of Two Become One. <laughs> there aren't that many in Two Become One. I need some love like I've never needed love before. I want to make, make love, love to you, you baby. <laughs> Had a little laugh. set your spirit free. I'd like to leave. Yeah. Now. What's the next question? Our next question is um, <laughs> the next question. Good question, Dan. Is from at NC Low who uh, asks: As it's USA TV renewal season, are there any shows you think should have ended way before they actually did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. EastEnders. Dum 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 dum. dum. That whole Den, that whole Den and Angie arc when that was over, like why did they carry on? I don't understand. They should have done a film spin off and be done with it. Actually, I, there was a, a trailer came on for EastEnders last night just before Great British Menu. I, I I turned to my wife and went, "Who the hell watches this shit?" I began to turn it into my dad. I realised that, <laughs> but honestly, this is now and it's what fifty seventh endless monotonous. Yeah, I know it's not fifty seven, but it's just just an endless stream of bad accents and misery. This is awful. Just kill it. Kill it with fire. In shows that we might actually have liked in the first place news, uh, I would like to propose (laughs) (laughs) films or shows like Dexter, uh, the final season of which was Drek. Are we sticking to US TV shows here or can we throw in British ones? I think we can throw in some British ones. I've got a British one written down here as well. Uh, I would also, much as I love it, and you know I'm on record as loving it, Mm. but Babylon 5. He rushed season three and four to kind of compress the whole arc into four seasons mm. instead of five because he didn't think he'd get a fifth. Mm. And he did. He being J. Michael Straczynski. That is correct, yes. Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit. No, it's not. No, it's, the correct response is get out. My trouble with Babylon 5 is it does Babylon a bit. You're both terrible people. Also, um, I think the likes of The, uh, the X-Files, certainly, uh, is a show that started off brilliant and I think has been kind of tarnished by its later seasons being less than brilliant I was impressed that they kept finding you know different things that were weird that began with letter X <laughs> like honestly what? how many seasons was it by the end like 11 yeah a lot of evil xylophones in yeah, that show all, o- all over the shop now yeah it's it's sad really I mean it's not like 24 which is preposterous and you like it or you don't and let's not raise it to a high art and so what if it goes on more what does it really matter X-Files had the potential to just sign off and be great forever and it didn't yeah yeah I agree I think I'm going to throw some comedies in there Frasier should definitely have ended gotcha. oh yeah when Niles before, and Daphne yeah. got married yeah. it was such an Bam. easy situation to That's cut it. off and weirdly as, as a huge huge Friends fan I, I you know I just do wonder if they went on one season too long that just said, it bit. does have some... I agree, this is the thing. but I don't think it's the most egregious one I think no, we'll talk but about. but every episode of Friends has at least one or two laugh-out-loud moments in it, uh, in my opinion. But, yeah, I just I, the whole mm. Rachel-Joey thing... There's a kind of a, a difference here, I think, between there are sh- some shows where the, the last season or the last couple of seasons weren't as great. You know, they peaked before their last season. Something like Buffy peaked around seasons three, four, five, and then six and seven were not quite as good... But there were so many great moments in those that you wouldn't want to lose them completely. I would I would put the West Wing, actually, in the same category. There were great moments in those final post-Sorkin seasons. Uh, and Battlestar Galactica as well. Absolutely. Where, which I kind of... I was aware that it was going off and off. You know, do you know what I mean? It was going a bit wrong, yeah. but I kind of didn't want it to end because I enjoyed it, the, the character so much. And then at the very new, a bit like, yeah, kind of. It, it never... Yeah. It never it never hit the peak of, of third, fourth season, did it? And in that category, I might put The Simpsons, which still has moments of genius, but is not hitting the consistent heights of genius that it did in its earlier years. Yeah. I, I, compare and contrast, for example, with South Park, which is in season 16, I think, and is still as fresh and funny and fucked up as it ever has been. I'm going to throw in, just for controversy's sake, The Wire. What? Which... 
the fifth season of which is not as good as what went before, although I quite like the fact they brought the focus back on McNulty and the police work. Um, but there are there are a lot of critics of the fifth season, especially the, the fake serial killer plot, which people thought took the show somewhat beyond the realms of reality. I like that plot. But I, I agree, I pushed it, and I think, I think, but it's all a matter of, of uh, relativity, I mm. think. Mm. I think the fifth season of The Wire is better than most other television. Yeah. It just yeah. wasn't as good as what went before. No, I agree, I agree. And also, you yeah. wouldn't want to lose that ending, and which, you know, essentially, you know, explains the whole thing. Yeah, oh, God, yeah, I just remember that season that makes me so sad. I've got a whole list of these, ER, Weeds, The O.C., When Marissa Went, They Should Have Canned It, uh, Happy Days, Invented This, Jumping the Shark, Roseanne, They Win the Lottery. Oh, God, it's um, awful. I adore House, but that flips away. Uh, he- I stopped watching it. Heroes had trouble with, obviously, the writer's strike, so I can't really call out, oh, no, it should have, you know, it should have cut the mm. cut its cord. You know, Only Fools and Horses, how many bloody specials has that had? I was oh, just yeah. about to say Only Fools and Horses, which seems like sacrilege, but honestly, towards the last, the endless 90-minute specials, once again, once they won the lottery, that show should have finished. They should not have come back, I think. Uh, the US Office, I'm a very big fan of. Again, there was it was like Niles and Daphne getting married. There was a natural cutoff point when uh, Michael Scott left, and they kept going. I'm currently polishing it off right now. Like I'm, I'm finishing up. There are some episodes which are very funny and have very funny moments. Some of them you go, you. This is honestly what you had at the bottom of the big whiteboard. Hey, here's an idea. Yeah, we could do that this time. Um, I think Dwight Schrute comes up with a crazy alternate alternate Christmas, which kind of. Signed. Oh God! And it's her of Doctor Who, Catherine Tate. Catherine Tate. Wow. She gets better, but to begin with, wow, she's bad. I would finally say Will and Grace also should have ended. Okay. Interesting that <clears throat> there's only one British TV show on that because British TV shows only do the six episodes a series thing, generally speaking, uh, and they don't tend to uh, uh, overstate our welcome. Apart from Red Dwarf. Apart from Red Dwarf, uh, <laughs> to an extent, I thought the last season was, was ah season series. The last series was pretty good. I think News of Ten's really gone downhill. Uh, since Trevor McDonald have I got news for you actually it has gone downhill like the number of times they make a joke and it drives me up the wall where they go Scottish people they eat oats Liverpool insert like it's just so basic or who'd want to live in Devon because they don't have electricity ha 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 you can see like especially um, female guests just feeling incredibly uncomfortable with like really root one crass stuff that said when they get people like Jacob Rees-Mogg whatever his name was on the other day and you go you are a buffoon and it's nice watching you be a buffoon it's tricky though I mean for a long running series to keep up the quality but once you get to episode 112 of anything you're just basically just going through the motions aren't remarkably you? specific yeah. honestly jokes about bananas planet of the apes supernatural sick of it sick of it I'll be wheeling out impressions next no <laughs> god that, that would be bad no. uh, finally okay. true blood and desperate housewives okay oh also sex in the city so everything, basically. <laughs> uh, nothing is ever perfect, apart from things that we've decided are perfect, and then about ten years after watching them and remembering them fondly, you realise they weren't as good as you thought they were. Anyway, what's the next question? Next question, Ali, I'm so glad you asked, is uh, from Facebook. This is from Daniel Parkin, via Facebook. He says, With wanting to be first to see a new movie legally, absolutely right, don't get me started. I know someone who makes a habit of watching movies on uh, a streaming, illegally streaming thing, and rubs it in my face and I get very angry anyway. Sorry, we, we will not get you started Chris so Daniel Parkin continues before spoilers or friends slash post before they see the movie he wants to see it legally it's getting very very expensive to have a night at the movies Godzilla for example uh, he goes into detail Friday night IMAX 3D £16.50 a ticket times two slip brackets 
date. Well done, Daniel. Two drinks at the cinema bar. Just two? It's a date, Daniel. For God's sake, push the boat out, mate. £12.10. Cinema snacks, drinks, hot dog, popcorn, coffee, £22.40. Total, £67.50. P.S. I'm not tight. <laughs> I just wanted to hear your thoughts. Here's well, my solution. You sneak booze and food in. Just take your own yeah. stuff in like I do. I take my own movies in, <laughs> which really helps. Snickers bar. Snickers bar in the bag. Banana. water. I mean, think how impressed your day would be if you turned up with homemade brownies or something. And any idiot can make brownies. <laughs> or yeah. a bunch no of bananas. No offence, I'm not calling you an idiot, Daniel. I'd say that there are different deals and it wouldn't be appropriate necessarily to go, oh, well, this company does this, but there are Tuesday nights that are cheaper. Obviously, there are Orange Wednesdays. There yes. are, I mean, there are deals. You know, you have cards that allow you to go mm-hmm. to the world of cine. Hello, Jason Isaacs. To, <laughs> to see films on a cheaper basis and depending on where you are. I would also say... There are times when I'm willing to spend more. You are saying IMAX here, and that is expensive. Mm. But I find when you're going to the IMAX, that is a really big deal. And maybe that is expensive. It is expensive. But you are going to the IMAX, so that's what you get. You will pay more. And I like going to smaller cinemas. Often they'll do older films or more recent films, but like but, but a bit later. But the point is, he's right. It is getting very, very expensive. Oh, gotcha. And we, we live in a bit of a, a bubble. We don't often pay to see movies at the cinema. We get to see the stuff, by and large for free very very privileged but, but we do we don't but we, uh, there's a certain disconnect I think for us in terms of what cinema goers most cinema goers go through and it is fastly expensive when I do go to the cinema it's like excuse me how much when I first came to London um, yeah I, me I, too I paid for two tickets to see Mummy Returns and I gave the lady a £20 note and I got £1.50 back and I went excuse me what, what? Yeah, I would not understand why anybody would go to Leicester Square and not <clears throat> watch a film aside from the PCC I mean I would only go to the PCC there because that, that kind of keeps prices low and increasingly they're getting films quite soon after their release um, if you're looking to see especially Art House Fair I remember growing up in Reading four quid see a film three quid fifty you get good deals I mean if you're a family man like I am it's, it's not actually that expensive to take my kids to the cinema oh really during a daytime uh, that's actually not too bad it's this it's the big evening shows it's a Friday night I went to see uh, Gravity with Mrs Jolin and uh, it set me back quite a lot including you know babysitter costs so you know, I feel I feel Daniel's pain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is what's driving people more and more towards waiting for streaming, or in the case of the person who flaunted at my face, who shall remain nameless, they they turn to illegal methods, and they don't even think it's illegal. They don't even know it's illegal, and that's the thing that gets me. And I wonder how much people need to be educated about this sort of stuff. I mean, honestly, I've had arguments with this person, going, "It's illegal," and they go, "No, no, 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 no. I bought an I bought an uh, an Android box from Amazon, and they wouldn't sell the box if it was illegal." It's like, no, you're an idiot. Um, anyway, don't want to get me started, but I do think people need to be educated in this sort of stuff. I would say one one of these. <laughs> This is one positive I take from it. I love going to do Orange Wednesdays, and when I do, I know I'll always have a great audience because it's always packed, and there's always a great willingness that they've waited this Wednesday to go and see it, and I love that. And sometimes I'll see a film that I've enjoyed a lot and then see it again in Orange Wednesdays because it's got that. And you can also get the two-for-one on Pizza Express. Oh, bingo. Bingo. Uh, Is it bingo as well? Uh, Yes, bingo as well, yeah. Awesome. Daniel, we do feel your pain. I don't know what they can do about it, honestly. Um, Except for maybe, as as Ali was saying, there's lots of initiatives to to bring prices down and... Points. There are points on yeah. points cards. So, perhaps if we all join together and rise up, and uh, like form some kind of revolution, I think so. That also, might that might work. Also, student cinemas. If you're a student or no student, you can, I remember going as a student with friends who were also students for a quid. You go to certain places, get great discounts. 
Daniel, we hope you had a great night. We hope you got lucky. And if you have any kids, do name them after us. Thank you so much for your questions. As ever, if you want to get in touch with us, we are on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Please use the hashtag Empire Podcast or we won't see your questions. Uh, you can Facebook us as Daniel did. Uh, we're Empire Magazine on Facebook. And you can email us podcast at empireonline.com. Got a lot of spam this week. I've got an idea as well. We talk about things every week and we're talking about musicians that became great actors and TV shows that should have, you know, whatever. If you've got any thoughts, do tweet us in or email us in and I guess next week we might mention them if they're especially good or if we have the time or we remember. Yeah, absolutely. Just so make it a conversation. You can be part of the gang. It's never too late and our shows run to freshen things up. I agree. Uh, now it's time for our first X interview. Sir Ian McKellen first played Eric Lencher, a.k.a. Magneto, in X-Men back in the year 2000. Just like Busted. No, that's year 3000. Sorry. And now here he is, back as a character after an eight-year absence in Days of Future Past. I went along and spoke to one of our most venerated knights about returning to Magneto, saying farewell to Magneto and taking my job. Enjoy. I'm uh, delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by Ian McKellen. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, yes. Nice to be in Soho in the middle of London. Looking out of a hotel room window? Yes. yes Would you much nice. rather be out there? Uh, no, no, I'm very happy <laughs> in here. It's nice and warm and a, a cup of coffee is available. This movie, Days of Future Past, seems in some ways almost a farewell to Magneto for you. Is that how you, you saw this movie? Is that how you approached this movie? Or do you think you might play this character again? Well, I mean, things are never always as they seem to be. I mean, I could swear in the last movie, X-Men movie, I, I saw Professor X blown to smithereens by Jane Grey. And guess what? Sir Patrick is back uh, with us. Uh, that's the nature of the, of the comics, you know. They would yeah. go into the past and into the future, and, and they would change the, the future. They'd change the past. The characters were never, weren't always consistent. They had different histories that uh, were, were invented, and so the story rolled on for 30 or 40 years. And mm -hmm. I'd be very happy if the same were true of the movies. And uh, uh, never say die. <laughs> <laughs> uh. If it is to be your last go in the helmet yes. as Magneto, you've also said farewell to Gandalf. And I, I just had this feeling that, you know, I have this image of you now, now Gandalf's in the past for you, Magneto's well, in the past. Well, that's sweet of you to be concerned, but it, it occurred to me. I mean, here we are, the premiere's tonight in, in, in May in London for X-Men, which may be my last one. And in December, yes, it'll be the final mm -hmm. Hobbit movie. Yeah. But I know that uh, Tolkien wrote other stories about Gandalf and, and uh, his merry men, uh, and who knows whether they mightn't reach the big screen. But no, I, I do feel there's a, if not a line drawn, there, there's a there's a pause here. There, yes, I, I have come to the end of something, but mm. what the future will bring, I don't worry too much about. And if I didn't get the chance to be in big, big movies again, uh, there are always... Um, smaller movies and I'm about to do one an independent movie in which I play Sherlock Holmes age 93 uh, a film uh, set in London uh, and uh, you know when you're making a film it doesn't matter how big or small it is it's making a film it feels the same mm. uh, uh, but I, I think I will miss the uh, razzmatazz of these big uh, <laughs> these big openings and these worldwide uh, successful films but as a theatre actor for you well as the theatre always the theatre I yeah. hope uh, as long as I've got the strength to yeah. get on stage and be heard and uh, that's a big part of my life and, and will and remain so yeah but uh, I imagine for you it's always a case of on to the next thing that's done that's yeah. the past let's move yeah. on yeah I, 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 Pat, Pat Stewart and I, I feel ourselves so lucky to be allowed to <laughs> be in these films uh, uh, 
we, we can't really believe our luck. You know, <laughs> it wasn't the way it was meant to be. We, we were going to be uh, classical actors doing posh plays at uh, Stratford-upon-Avon <laughs> and coming to the terms of the difficulties of Shakespeare and so on. Yeah. And, and suddenly we're, we're in these rip-roaring hits and... Uh, I could take no credit for the fact that they're successful, but I'm very happy to be along for the ride. Well, not only are you in Ripperoin Hits, but uh, you and Patrick have essentially uh, annexed the internet. There are huge portions of the internet <laughs> devoted to you guys, and uh, and the, the pictures you take and the and the things you got up to in New York. Mm. Do you keep an eye on that sort of thing, or is is that? Uh... I've always been interested in publicity. Yeah, as an audience and and as a performer. Why do I go and see something? And uh, do I see it because I've seen it advertised? Mm-hmm. And, and where is that advertisement? On the side of a bus or on the television or radio? In the newspaper? Or is it because I've heard it's good? At, do I read the critics? No, I don't. <laughs> Actually, I go, and, I go and see something because someone's told me it's good. And yes. that someone is probably a friend uh-huh. uh, whose taste I know and can trust. Now, when you're on the other end of it, when you're performing in a film or a play, how do we get people to come and see this? Mm-hmm. How do we explain to them what it's about and why they would enjoy it. Nowadays, uh, one can cut through the, the commercialism of, 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 adver- of, of advertising your product through the social media where you, mm. you can directly contact people who you know yes. are, are interested in what you're doing because they've let you know that in the past. It's a more reliable way of, of as it were, being a friend through the ether and saying, you know, you'd, you'd enjoy this. Uh, uh, so... We were publicizing the work we were doing on Broadway. We were doing mm. two plays, Waiting for Goddard and, and a play by Harold Pinter, No Man's Land. And uh, we wanted to let people know we were there in New York. So uh, Patrick's wife, Sonny, uh, invented this idea that we should have this rather public bromance, which slightly <laughs> exaggerates our feelings for each other. But we are good pals. We get on very well with each other. We each think the other is, is pretty good in everything, in mm. life and in work. And so it, there was no effort at all. And, and, and they took off. They went, they, they went viral. And I, I think perhaps we became more famous for, for, for doing the publicity than for doing the actual plays. <laughs> but it all paid off, I'm sure. It all paid bums and seats yes, ultimately. Indeed, and that's, yes. the, uh, that's the important thing. But uh, with you and Patrick, was it, uh, yeah, you guys have known each other for a long, long time now, before, before the X-Men yeah. movies. Yeah. We worked together in, in, at the Royal Shakespeare Company in the 1970s. And, and uh, although we must have met, we, we weren't friends. And we weren't in the same productions. Mm. Uh, and we did a play together for the RSC by Tom Stoppard. That was only for one night. So we really bonded uh, and, and um, had long chats and, and, and explorations of each other's minds and, and experiences in, um, when we were doing the first X-Men, yes. which is, what, uh, 15 years ago mm-hmm. in, in, in Toronto. And... Uh, we discovered what anyone could have told us really is that we're the same person, actually. I mean, we've had very similar careers, Patrick and I. Yes. It's true he's from Yorkshire and I'm from Lancashire, but we've put that aside. <laughs> you know, we, I think we both hoped and thought uh, our careers would be no more, and we'd be very happy if they were yes. just that, being in classical plays uh, with good directors and, yes. and, and um, lively audiences. And it's turned out that he's a massive star on TV and I've been in Lord of the Rings and we do these X-Men movies. So we just keep uh, uh, hugging each other and say, can you believe it? And we'll, we'll be in the next one. <laughs> we shall see. Time will tell. We'll but uh, I, I read on the uh, the IMDb, which isn't always correct, as you know, but uh, I read that you once uh, aspired to be a journalist. 
Mm-hmm. Is this true? And Patrick, and Patrick was a journalist. Patrick was a journalist. Hugh Jackman studied to be a journalist yes, as well. Yes, is that right? Yeah, indeed. So uh, is, uh, is uh, journalism's loss movies gain or the other way around? What sort of journalist would you have been? Well, I hope I would have been writing for a posh paper and that I, <laughs> I, I wouldn't have had to distort the news to fit in with the predilections of the owner of the paper. I can't uh, see you I, phone, tacking, phone hacking somehow. I, I, I can't see I you doing I don't think I'd want to do that. Yeah. However, I mean, there is no more honourable job well done than being a journalist. Uh, uh, lives are put in danger sometimes to get the, the word out, the news out. And, and how else are we going to know what's happening uh, unless some intrepid informer tells us? Would I be in that sort of journalist? I don't know. I would have tried. I mean, I, I do still write journalism on, 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 my, on my website. I, I, I write constantly about my career. Mm. Uh, and and it gives me great joy to say, right, I've, I've written 500 words on that. I think I could get it down to 300 <laughs> if I reorganize it and, and, and cut and paste and so on. And yeah. you can do that easily on the computer. And I really enjoy that. So, And the only writing I've ever done uh, has been of a journalistic nature. It's been reportage. It's not been fiction. Mm. I've not written a poem or a play or a screenplay. Oh, I did one. Richard III. So journalism, I, I, I read a lot of. I, I still buy the newspapers and, and read them and I'm full of admiration for, for those who can write well under duress. Someone who can report on a cricket match, for goodness sake, and make it sound interesting <laughs> and, and, and exciting. I suppose my least favourite journalists are, are, are theatre critics. <laughs> String them up. <laughs> well, well, Ian, there's, a, there's an open invitation for you to write for Empire anytime you want. Oh, well, you can, saying, you well can, I love awesome. Empire, I love Empire. Uh, if, you, if you would like to write a, a review of the, uh, Days of Future Past, mm. 450 words by tomorrow with... Uh, you see, I, cu- I could do that, but yeah. I'd have to drop everything else <laughs> to, to do it. I don't know. You might have do you write reviews? I write reviews, yeah. It's tough. It's my least favorite part. Are, of the are job. you joking when you say it's no? Tough. No, it's my yeah. I, it's my least favorite part of the job. I don't well, enjoy there doing it. There you go. Yeah. It's very hard because you want to be honest to your own standards. You want to be kind to people who've put in a lot of work and effort and hope we're doing trying to do their best. Mm-hmm. And then you have to f- inform all those faceless readers and all in that much space. And that much <laughs> space. Well. Yes, that's right. Which is uh, which is quite tricky uh, indeed. But uh, I just want to ask uh, one last thing. Uh, you mentioned Sherlock Holmes. Uh, oh yes, a slight trick of the mind. What's your Sherlock Holmes going to be like? I'm just starting, as you ask, to get to grips with the idea that I am going to be the latest actor to play Sherlock Holmes, but a Sherlock Holmes that other others have not yet tried. He's 93. Mm-hmm. He's in retirement, and uh, Conan Doyle, the the author of the original stories, um, says that there was a retirement period when. Holmes left London, went to live in Sussex. Mm-hmm. John Watson had got married. He kept bees. And why did he keep bees? Well, he wanted to collect the royal jelly. And why did he want that? Because he thought it would prolong his life. Mm-hmm. So like others at, of an advanced age, he's still determined to live even longer. And uh, <laughs> the film begins with him having returned from Japan in search of some elixir of, of, of not eternal life, but, but of re- rejuvenated life. Mm. And at the same time, he's getting more decrepit and the mind is going a little bit. And, and, and uh, he reminisces about a last unsolved case. Uh, and uh, you see him trying to uh, get to terms with that. So it's a, it's a play on um, Sherlock Holmes, and that, that'll be amusing. Uh, but it's also about old age, mm. considerable old age. 
uh, and and his and his he, he befriends a, a a young lad, a twelve year old boy, who's obsessed with as Sherlock Holmes's um, books and can't believe that the man actually exists. And you do really believe, as you're reading it, as I hope you will when you see, see the film, is that Sherlock Holmes is a real, yes. real person. Yes. But I never smoked a pipe. And that's for that dear stalker, that was John's idea. And I never called him Watson. So there are... <laughs> we, we, we do correct uh, a, a few... Uh, uh, mistakes that people make about him. Yes, uh, it'll be fun. And it's directed by Bill Condon, Absolutely. who directed the film I'm most proud of, perhaps um, uh, Gods and Monsters mm -hmm. that we made a long time ago about James Whale. So uh, it'll be a wonderful reunion. Fantastic. Well, I wish you all the best. And uh, thank you for joining us. Mm. Thank you very much. Take care. Cheerio. Problem with watching X-Men 2 last night, which mm -hmm. I did again in preparation just, you know, because I want to see my wife to see Days of Future Past, is that I can't stop talking like this. It's really, really discomforting. It's honestly, it's so weird. I can see your problem there, Chris. <clears throat> can you I see my it, problem? I find it quite hard myself. We're in the future, not them. It's so weird. You anyway. are a god among insects, Chris. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, Michael in there. Before we get on to the movie news, it is now time for a Squarespace-sponsored science bit brought to you by your friend and neighbour, Alistair Plum. Take it away, Ali. This episode is sponsored by Squarespace, which is the all-in-one platform that makes it fast and easy for you to create your very own professional website portfolio and online store. I have this. I'm not going to reveal the URL to you just yet because it isn't quite ready. I'm trying to get things just right, but it is, I can tell you, simple and easy, very well designed. It's got the drag and drop tools, which just seem so intuitive, and you get 24-7 support through either live chat or email uh, with people both in New York City and Dublin. You even have the opportunity to do kind of online e-commerce uh, with an online store. Every site comes with an online store if you want that. So just start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today, if that's what you feel like doing. And when you do decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the offer code EMPIRE to get 10% off your first purchase and to show support for the Empire podcast, which is what you're listening to. Uh, thanks, Squarespace, for sponsoring the Empire podcast. And remember, you know, a better web starts with your website so there you have it. Thank you for listening to this small bit of blurb. It is gratefully appreciated. And now on with the show. Lovely movie news time now. There's a biggie. Which is the news that Anthony Mackie will play Jimi Hendrix. That's the one. That's oh, the wow. One. wow. Oh, sorry, Excuse no. me while I kiss the sky. What have you got here? Uh, this is the news that Batman vs Superman is no longer called Batman vs Superman. <gasps> it's called Batman v Superman. It's called Batman v Superman. Colon. Dawn of Justice. Bum, 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 bum. I see what they did there. Yeah. So setting up a Justice League. Perhaps? But also, the Dark Knight is over, oh. and it's a dawn of yeah, like you said. I think actually, what it is clearly is the the name of a, a legal case. Uh, this is the way that we write uh, the names of legal cases, and uh, Dawn of Justice simply backs that up. This is clearly going to be a courtroom film. I don't know if it's going to be Superman suing Batman. The way the title's written, it would obviously be Batman suing Superman for some reason. He's, he's a journalist, so he libeled him. So what? Clark Kent libels Bruce Wayne. Potentially. Potentially. No, we don't have all the facts yet. I think it's a, a custody case over Robin. 
and you'll just get <laughs> Batman going, Where is he? Where is he? <laughs> Bat Kramer versus Super Kramer. Essentially. I like it. Uh, that would be a much more interesting movie than the one I'm sure they're cooking up. Uh, Harsh. It just feels to me, that I loved the reaction on Twitter last night to this, that Twitter was being very, very funny about this last night. It is. Have you seen a Transformers movie title recently? Uh, Age of Extinction. Yeah, but that's just meaningless. Dark uh, of the Moon? It's like, you have a movie called Batman vs. Superman, and the minute you decide to call it Batman vs. Superman, just stop. That's your title. You don't need anything else. People are going to go see it, because it's Batman vs. Superman. You can call it something else, but not Dawn of Justice, not this bland, meaningless nonsense that's setting up a film that... It is the kind of thing I would have written on the side of my pencil case when I was nine. Yeah. That's a, that's a little embarrassing for you. This whole Dawn of Justice, do we think that they were inspired by the Planet of the Apes, the dawn of the Planet of the Apes? I Possibly. mean, there's probably somebody drove past a big poster of it, you know, and thought, hmm, that mm. sounds good. Well, also, there was the Dark Knight Rises and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. So, you know. Wow. I am the weaver. That man is an ape. We're having fun with this, obviously, but from my perspective, it's fine. I don't really care. I'm sure it'll be good. It doesn't mean anything. It's just a name. It's got Batman in it. It's got Superman in it. I was really impressed with the picture. I like the look of the car. It's a movie. I'll see it, and I'll hopefully like it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's a title no one cares. No one's going to call it. No one's going to ask for two tickets to Batman for Superman Dawn of Justice. No, 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 no. Batman v Superman hold on don't just I'll still, still call it first um, and also of course the reaction on our website we had a poll up on the story it's actually been positive mm. much more positive than negative so <laughs> I think people may be more forgiving than the Twitter most yeah yeah. I just I just feel that the, that when they released a picture of Ben Affleck and the Batmobile last week or whenever it was two weeks ago last week last week yeah that uh, there was a lot of goodwill suddenly towards the movie and I think they felt no they needed to get rid of that <laughs> and, you know, that they were uncomfortable with it. Because every step they've taken in this movie so far, they've had people throwing things at them. And I think they just wanted to get back to the place where they felt comfortable yeah, <laughs> again. That... Um, it, honestly, I, I'm obviously guilty of hyperbole here, but it is the worst title ever, and no one will ever come up with anything worse. You are the worst at hyperbole. And also, of course, it's shooting now. That's the other bit of news that came with that, isn't it? It's actually started shooting now. Detroit, yes. Illinois, yes. South Pacific, Africa... Apparently. These all American states. <laughs> America wishes they were. Mm. They're all um, musicals. <laughs> so, yes, it's all over. It's globe trotting, big globe trotting production. Do they say Africa? I, I, that's just, I, was, I, I quickly read something before I came in here <laughs> and it just said Africa. So, you know, where in Africa, I don't know. It does make me laugh when they have that. It's like in, I did a James Bond map, which you should check up on the website. I did this whole, it was a huge research project born of passion and then at the end of it, no passion and disgust. But where I worked out every single location that James Bond went to and one of them is obviously in the Mediterranean. He darts back and forth loads and loads of times. But then in one film, he just gets, there's a parachute incident over Africa and it just says Africa. And you're just like, oh, oh no. He's, no, no. Oh, <laughs> what dear. am I supposed to do with that? Anyway, do check it out. It's um, Bonds Travels, EmpireOnline.com. <laughs> Good plug. Thank you very much. <laughs> Speaking of plugs, because this will actually work in hopefully rather well, Matthew Vaughan is making a movie and the movie he is making is now called Kingsman. The Secret Service. Previously, it was just called The Secret Service. I'm still just as excited about it, but it's important that you know there's a name change. There's also a trailer that's gone up. The premise is that a uh, a young lad from uh, in a city council estate in London gets plucked out of 
potential ignominy and a lack of a job and a lack of a real life uh, by his super spy mentor, who's played by Colin Firth. And you, Chris, got to do a trailer breakdown with the director, Matthew Vaughan, and it has got me even more excited about it all. Did I? I think you did. Oh, yeah. I did that the other day. I went along to uh, a Soho editing facility where Matthew Vaughan and his editor, Eddie Hamilton, another shout-out to Eddie who listened to the podcast, are putting it together. They've got ten weeks to go. They were both a little bit frazzled. But it looks fantastic, I have to say. I wasn't a huge fan of the comic book. Who's, which was written by Mark Miller. Which was plotted by Matthew Vaughan. So there is shared DNA with the, with the movie and the, and the comic book. But uh, it was written by Mark Miller... Uh, formerly of this podcast and written uh, and uh, drawn by the, the brilliant Dave Gibbons so it looks fantastic and it swings along and it's, it's pacey and there's not much more to it than that I thought the film honestly looks fantastic Fawn showed me about 25 minutes of stuff in the end some of the action sequences in this look really really great and Colin Firth is going to be hilarious he is he's Bond meets Steed uh, he's deadpan to the nth degree. He's he, he's phenomenal, from what I've seen. I have a question. Hello, Dan. How is it different from Teen Agent and Agent Cody Banks. and and, um, and Stormbreaker? It's different from those in terms of its tone, okay, and in terms of its uh, attitude, and in terms of the violence and swearing quotient. Uh, this is extraordinarily violent. Uh, there's a phone showed me a set piece. I won't say too much about it. You see a little glimpse of it in the uh, in the trailer. It's a, it's a sequence set in the church. And uh, he showed me the set piece. And honestly, it's unbelievable. Once they finish and get all the effects sorted out, it's going to be unbelievably violent, as in the end of Brain Dead violent. And it's not the sort of thing you would say, expect to see Colin Firth, uh, one of our most noble actors and Oscar winners, uh, doing, uh, which I imagine was the appeal of it. Uh, Sam Jackson looks a like good fun as the bad guy. It, it, uh, Matthew Vaughan and Jane Goldman, who co-wrote the script and also did Stardust and Kick-Ass and X-Men First Class, they have a lovely handle of genre and genre expectations, I think, and they're very, very good at subverting things at every turn. And, uh, yeah, I've got really high hopes for this one. A lot rests on Taron Edgerton, who's the uh, the unknown, had never made a film before, who was chosen over Jack O'Connell and John Boyega for the, I, I guess, the lead role uh, of Eggsy. But uh, he looked good from what I saw. Very, very solid cast. Mark Strong as Merlin, rocking a Scottish accent, Helen. I think oh. you'll like that. Always good. Uh, yeah, really, really good. So really check good. it out on empire9.com. It's yeah. on the homepage. We also have a trailer breakdown for the new Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, which will give you a little bit more insight into what the heck is going on with the raccoons and the trees and the talking and the aliens and the stuff. Mm. Um, so I like that, the green lady. The green lady is very pretty, I yes. like the blue lady. The blue lady is also very pretty. Yes. I like the guy with the abs. Well, that narrows it down. Also, this week uh, there was news that Alfonso Cuarón is apparently sought, not, not necessarily. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh, not necessarily uh, even in one hundred percent talks yet, but sought for the uh, the leadership of Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. That is, of course, the Harry Potter spin-off. Um, he gets a lot of praise, and rightly so, for being the one to take the world that um, that was set up in the in the Harry Potter in the first two Harry Potter films and shake it up in the third one and really set the franchise going. I mean, not set the franchise going, but really set the franchise free and give it a chance to be something, I think, better than it might otherwise have been. He's obviously still very close with producer David Heyman, who he made Gravity with. And 
this would seem to be an interesting challenge, even though he's not the kind of guy we associate with going back and doing sequels or anything like that, even though he's just done a major, major film and won an Oscar for it. This would seem to be an interesting challenge because to me, combining sort of Jazz Age New York and The Wizarding World just design-wise, I think, could be the most gorgeous film ever. So I'm I'm kind of hoping that he maybe takes that one. It's kind of interesting. This guy kind of reinvented the wheel on Gravity. Yeah. Uh, I guess his next move is going to be very interesting. He's also obviously working with um, Jonas, his son, Yes. Um, mm. on, on a, side of a slightly smaller scale film. Desierto. Desierto. Yes. Dan, um, you know Alfonso Cuaron. Well, I just you. Better than friends. anyone else in this pod book. <laughs> uh, which is it's saying not very well. Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah, but you know, do you have any sense of what is this something he might want to do? Do you see? Is this almost like a, a break by the seaside for him after Gravity, like doing this <laughs> massive special effects thing? No, he. I mean, he enjoyed doing uh, Azkaban. I mean, you know, he he. It was by no stretch a bad experience not for him. All, no. So I can, I think, and I think he's a good fit. I mean, you know, this it's his last. Well, I mean, Gravity was an adult film, but not extremely one, and obviously, Children of Men was. Was was very 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 harsh, but you've got to remember, you know, his his roots uh, with the uh, the little princess. You know, he's he's he knows kids movies and he doesn't very well. And but he always, you know, there was a, there was an edge to Azkaban. I, I felt there was a, you know there was an edge to it that uh, I didn't feel from the others that that he brought to it. So I think it's cool. I don't know anything about these books. This this new book though, or you know, I, you know, literally. I mean, it's got jazz romances in it or something. What's, what's um, the book is is barely a book. The book is not a story. Hmm. Uh, the book is a tiny little um, almost pamphlet that uh, J.K. Rowling produced for uh, for charity for Comic Relief. So it was sold for like a fiver and most of the, all the proceeds went to Comic Relief. It's not in any way a story. Uh, this guy is barely a character. He basically writes the introduction saying, yes, I went around and catalogued all these beasts and here is the catalogue of all these beasts. And that's essentially all it is. So they're starting from square one. But of course, it hmm. is J.K. Rowling herself who is putting the story together for this one. I think we can probably trust her story acumen to be able to, to create something pretty interesting. Presumably, though, it's going to have to be called... Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts. I don't think so. I think they're literally just going with probably Fantastic Beasts. I thought they'd probably probably change it to Fantastic V Beasts: Colon Where to Find Them. (laughs) Dawn of Where to Find Them. The the Dawn of the Dawn of Finding. I have got something I'm so excited about. I've got to nip in and just quickly get it in. Is that uh, the Coen Brothers have announced their next project, and it's going to be called Hail Caesar, which obviously will be the. Oh, I've been waiting for it for so long. You know, the finally the Coens are going to take on. Something funny happened on the way to the forum. No, it's actually about a 1950s fixer in Hollywood, private eye type who makes sure that the secrets and scandals of uh, Hollywood are kept under wraps and that blackmail ensues. And I just love it when they get period. I loved it with Lewin Davis. And mm. and this just feels so right for me. When they take on Hollywood briefly when they have before, it's, it's always a delight. And it's exciting. I always like knowing that they continue to make films. I almost feel like they're a magical, magical beast's. And they were also in the news a second time this week for um, the news that they are planning to write a Cold War thriller that Steven Spielberg is currently potentially going to direct with Tom Hanks starring. It's the story of a a U-2 plane that was shot down over Russia. The pilot was taken prisoner. And it's it's basically about the lawyer, James Donovan, who was sent in to try and negotiate his release. So that would be the Tom Hanks role. Their purely screenwriting record is perhaps not as quite as stellar as their screenwriting and directing record, but it's still a really exciting collaboration. Coen Brothers plus Spielberg, that's, that's intriguing to me. It is odd how they have written for other people and the scripts have been lame. Obviously, Gambit recently is, is a bad film. 
And of course, they originally had Lady Killers was something they wrote for Barry Sonnenfeld, and then he dropped out at the last minute, and they ended up taking it over, and you can tell. So here's that not happening. Finally, <laughs> from my perspective, Godzilla made a huge heap of cash uh, over the weekend uh, in the US and around the world, over 100 million, uh, which immediately had Warner's and Legendary deciding quite sensibly to make a follow-up called Godzilla v Mothra I don't know (laughs) (laughs) Dawn Dawn of of Moths yeah Yeah. Uh, anyway so that movie is happening and they are now looking at total grand total everything added up from all territories 196 million dollars in opening weekend and knowing that movies stake so much of their acumen in the future on their opening weekend with streaming prices are monitored off that and TV prices are monitored off that and DVD and Blu-ray sales are all pitched with that. This has done them very well. Mm. And a lot of people have come back saying they loved it and a lot of people saying they didn't love it. The uh, forums have been abuzz with with discussions of this. We talked about it, a little bit about it. Where, where does it go next? I mean, it's kind yeah. of... You've, you've just got to, you've got to bring a new threat. Where's that new threat going to come from? Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> Space they, Godzilla. Yes. Yes, indeed. Is it aliens? Is it, you know, Superman? Is it, who knows? Well, I think aliens would kind of lose that kind of rather nice metaphorical angle that they had on this one. This, mm. You know, Godzilla's always kind of represented something, or should, at, at his best, represent something for us as a species. Mm. If you bring in aliens, it kind of it kind of messes with the... Uh, this is true. ...with the metaphor. So this I'd rather they didn't do that. Having said that, you know, I'm, I'm fine with giant moths and tiny little fairy got priestesses, so what do I know? I'm just really worried that the Godzilla franchise might lose its natural, or what it is at its core, if it produces too many sequels. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. No. No. Okay. <laughs> it's kind of interesting though that uh, this Godzilla <laughs> made almost, as we began, not quite what the Roland Emmerich one made in its lifetime at the US box office. You know, mm. that made about 136 million. This made 93 in its opening weekend, which is uh, in the US. That is in the yeah. US, obviously in the US, worldwide. To Emmerich one made three hundred and seventy nine million or thereabouts. I'm not reading it off a website, honest. But it's 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 interesting to me that this one has hit where the Emmerich one just missed completely. Well, I think for a start, it looks like Godzilla, which doesn't hurt. I think the Emmerich one got a lot of fire for obviously, as we've discussed, looking like Jimmy Hill. Hmm. And I think maybe I think actually the Emmerich one may have had a little bit more of a struggle to get it into people's consciousness. It may have been a little bit more niche. You know, people maybe didn't know Godzilla quite as well. I mean, maybe the cartoon, but but apart from that, nobody had really seen the films necessarily. Whereas now with the internet, with the Emmerich film, the name is more in the public consciousness, the name is more familiar, and this one may have benefited from that. Interestingly, though, the Emmerich one was sold, like, completely on the nose as a monster movie. Really? This one they pitched as a disaster film, and I think that worked. Also, the other interesting thing is, apparently... I was reading this yesterday, um, so I may get the stats slightly wrong, but apparently I think over 60% of people who went to see it during the opening weekend were over 25. So we're looking at an older audience here. Mm. This isn't this isn't your teenagers. But I, I don't think teenagers are the driving force at the box office anymore, and I think that's been it's been heading that way for quite some time. That this isn't just tickets this cost sixteen pounds fifty each. <laughs> it's, it's partly that, and partly <laughs> the fact that you know there are frankly the teenage boys who were the demographic that they've traditionally mm. been aimed at eighties, nineties, noughties, They're mm. staying home and playing games for the most part. That's why games are making more money than cinema openings. Um, I think they are becoming a less and less important quadrant if you will of the audience um, and that you're seeing you know women are now 51% of the average mm. 
blockbuster market and and older people <laughs> older people yeah, over, yeah, 25 over 25 are now becoming a much more yeah. important sector of the market. It was 58 percent male so it's you know Pretty close to 50-50 split on, on the audience. Yeah. Male, and that's for Godzilla, which yeah. is more male skewing than many. Yeah. Uh, I guess to prove the pudding with this one will be in how it does in its second weekend. But to put it in context, uh, biggest opening this, season, this year so far has been Captain America 2, which mm. uh, had 96 million. Uh, and Amazing Spider-Man 2 had 91. I'm just surprised. I honestly didn't think that Godzilla had it in him, to be honest. I didn't think he had this sort of wide appeal. Um, so I have faith in the old lizard. Yeah, yeah, it's cool, and uh, hopefully, I, I wasn't a huge fan of this movie. Uh, hopefully, the sequel will address some of the problems, as in give us some human characters to root for. But uh, that's that's just me, and I'm just being weird. Of course, there's another big bit of news which has come out, uh, which is that the very first standalone Star Wars movie will be directed by Godzilla's Gareth Edwards, and written by Gary Witta of the Book of Eli and After Earth fame. Fame in fame. This is interesting. We don't know much about it, apart from the fact it's going to come out in December 2016. Gareth Edwards will take a break from directing Godzilla. He'll come back for Godzilla 2 and 3. Thomas Toll, the president of Legendary Films, has already announced, which means that those movies won't possibly couldn't hit until at least 2017, 2018. Mm, something like that. You'd think, I'd, yeah. I'd be honestly surprised they didn't, if, if Edwards didn't move on. I mean, it's testament to how well Godzilla has done and uh, how highly regarded Gareth Edwards is, which is fantastic for him. Uh, it couldn't happen to a nicer man. I would also say that it's it's an interesting choice and a kind of encouraging one. We want to see we want to see good and interesting filmmakers working in the Star Wars universe. That's a cool uh, cool sign. I mean, I'm a little bit. Uh, sceptical perhaps on the Star Wars prequels simply because I could not care less about Boba Fett and I actively don't want to know more about Han Solo's backstory. Oh God, no. So, and those are the two of the rumoured subjects for this film. So, you know, those two I, I'm going to find it very hard to get enthusiastic about but the involvement of somebody like Edwards will help me, I'm sure. But we don't know the subject. I mean, in his quote about this, he said... Ever since I saw Star Wars, I knew exactly what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. Join the Rebel Alliance. I could not be more excited and honoured to go on this mission mm. with Lucasfilm. Is that a clue, Rebel Alliance? Maybe. Does that mean it's it's less likely to be Boba and more likely to be Yoda or someone like that? Porkins. Porkins. I'd love to see a Porkins origin tale. <laughs> Frankly, I don't want to see any origin tales. There's part of me, the cynical part of me, that, that really doesn't want to see any Star Wars standalone movies, no matter who's attached. Uh, I think they will dilute the impact of the the episodes themselves. Yeah, I know there are commercial reasons why this is happening. And as long as there are artistic reasons as well, then I think that's going to be a good thing. And listen, I mean, the spin-offs don't have to do that. If they're, if they're their own thing, if they are just in that universe... It could be totally awesome. It could be. I'm talking as someone who saw Battle for Endor. I would not rule out the possibility of there being a great Star Wars spin-off in mm. there. But I do not want to see prequels. I do not want to see origin tales of Boba Fett. This is probably exactly what they're going to announce <laughs> the minute this podcast goes live. And obviously, we could, we could be brought around by, by brilliant filmmaking. But uh, I'd rather they did something new. There was that talk of uh, Zack Snyder who pitched this sort of Seven Samurai thing with Jedi's out in the uh, mm. out in the outer rim of the of, uh, of the of the galaxy. That sounds cool. And yeah. Gareth Edwards, he's a he's a cool filmmaker. I, I think he's a really in the flesh. He's a really really fun guy. He's a really nice guy. Uh, a very funny guy as well. And I think hopefully. Uh, being in the Star Wars universe will allow him to rediscover that fun that I thought was missing from Godzilla. Um, there obviously have been people 
quit being on the internet. It'll be a Rancor origin movie because uh, he only does monsters. But I think this is going to be this is going to be fun. I just don't uh, stay away from Han, stay away from Boba. I think the Fair. Rancor actually would be a great subject because the relationship to the Rancor and the Rancor Keeper is one of the great emotional beats of Return of the Jedi. Yes, do that. Do that indeed. Uh, I guess more information about that will leak out soon enough. But yeah, very interesting indeed, and and good to see Gareth Edwards who you know Godzilla done really really well. Uh, I know We at Empire didn't like the film as much as Sun, but. It is a recommendation, Chris. Three, Three stars, stars is a recommendation, indeed. But also, Gary Witter, you know, uh, you may have detected a note of sarcasm when I read his his uh, his credits. But he uh, also, as I wrote, as reminded, wrote the uh, the Walking Dead game, which which is excellent. So you know, my feeling is, and I wonder how tr- true this may be. My feeling is that maybe they've gone in together with a pitch and gone, don't do Han Solo, don't do Boba Fett, do this movie instead, which is really cool. And Disney and Lucasfilm have gone, yeah, okay. That would be great. Mon Mothma. (laughs) Origin. (laughs) Need none. Finally. No, Mon Mothma. We need some more women up in Star Wars, so let's go for that. Who says Need None's a man? I apologise. You don't know. Bib Fortuna. I'm just listing Star Wars characters now. All right, is that it for movie news? We all good? All right, time now for a second X interview with the only man who's appeared in every single one of the X-Men movies, thanks, of course, to a brief but memorable cameo in X-Men First Class. He is the one and only Wolverine, a.k.a. Hugh Jackman. And when he came to London recently, Helen and I went on to speak to him, and then a very last-minute appointment meant I had to leave poor Helen to fend for herself against Jackman's abs of truth. Poor, poor me. Poor Helen. Here are the results. Do try and filter out the raw terror in her voice. That's not terror. Enjoy. So, Hugh Jackman, welcome to the Empire Podcast. Thank uh, you. As we record this, we're actually recording this in advance of the release of Days of Future Past. Yes. So, l- just last night, you picked up our Empire Icon yeah, prize. Yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> I mean, that was crazy. It was, it was amazing. I had a, a particular moment when I was there because I wasn't aware that Tom Cruise, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Emma Thompson were going to be in the room. Um, so, as I got up on stage and collected that award, I was like, wow, I still think of icons as, as in those guys. So it was amazing to me to be included and I was very, very honoured and grateful and humbled by it. Mm. You do have a reputation as the most modest man alive, so, you know. That's not true. I mean, maybe <laughs> publicly, but actually privately, I have a fair bit of arrogance. Hey, I did a one-man show called Hugh Jackman Back on Broadway where I told stories about my life and sang my favourite songs. That's, yeah, that's not modesty, really. That's complete indulgence. There is a limit then. That's, that's kind of good. James McAvoy was there last night uh, as well, and he was, he was yeah. talking to us and calling you. He's got two different nicknames for you. Mm. Uh, Hugh Jackson H- yes. and Hugo, Hugo Boss. Boss. yeah. <laughs> He's terrific, man. I, I, I'm such a fan of his. I was always a fan of his, and my wife as well, massive fan. I was so impressed with him. i, I got to tell you, the first day he had on set is a massive scene with Patrick Stewart. So we'd been shooting for a month. He comes on. It's about a three-page scene and full on. And an iconic moment, of course, you know, to have same character face each yeah. other off. It's just, I'm not going to call it a dream sequence, but it has that kind of effect. I was lying on the slab, my character supposedly sort of unconscious, and I was I knew I was off camera, so I was opening my eyes and I was taking a little squeeze and I was just so impressed. And I went up to him and I said, Man, hard to nail that scene on any given day, but to turn up day one with an opposite Patrick Stewart who was in a flow, you know, he's he's got great courage and he's just such a great actor. And I was thrilled he won last night. You know, against I would say against the odds, particularly after the Oscars and everything and BAFTAs. 
Uh, if he hemmed together, I was very, you know, very happy. Yeah, I, th- I think it was maybe a bit much. For, uh, filth was a bit much for those voters, whereas our readers are a bit more like, yeah. Right. Love it. Swearing, sex, <laughs> fine. No yeah. Problem. <laughs> um, I mean, this this film, obviously, as, you, as you've kind of mentioned there, you know, has, sees a lot of jumping about in times. Mm. How do you keep track of Wolverine's timeline at this point? Do you have a wall <laughs> chart somewhere at home in your office, you know? No, I just don't make him too smart. <laughs> so that at any point, it all feels the same to him. Right. Yeah, I mean, he's 200 years old. So it's like he's got about a seven-day memory. No, <laughs> it, was, uh, <laughs> it was actually... Uh, it was really fun, mainly because going back in time, I always felt actually Wolverine is a classic 70s character. And it's funny how, I'll be honest with you, that X-Men First Class changed things in that it was very deliberately 60s. I'm going off on a tangent now, and it felt 60s. Mm-hmm. And weirdly timeless at the same time. But when we were making the Wolverine parts of that, uh, sorry, the X-Men Origins Wolverine, yeah, a lot of that was meant to be set back then, but uh, there was a lot of... Studio notes of no, 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 I don't want to look too much like that. Make it you can kind of feel like that, but I don't want flares, I don't want anything. And so, there's a lot more confidence either in the audience, I think, or just in the world itself. This, this felt 70s, and I kept in every scene, every time I turned on a car, I, I just wanted him to say, Yeah, yeah, that's what cars are like. Like, he just feels like he's, that's where he's a at muscle his car happiest. kind of guy, basically, completely. <laughs> Hair, the mutton chops, leather yes. jackets. Brian said that you were the first one to sign on to this uh, film. I guess because, you know, you're the, the time traveller in this one. I was confidently predicting right, left and centre when this film was first announced. Oh, it's obviously going to be Professor X who sends his consciousness back. That makes sense. Yes. But that's because I didn't think for a moment that they'd actually include Wolverine in a, in yes. a Days of Future Past film. So, you know, well, actually, to I'm going to give something away there. He, he, there is a line where he says, I was meant to go back. Ah. Um, so you're right in that actually for the task that needs to be done, it would have been much easier if he went back because he kind of knows what needs to be done Mm. and much easier to ease the fears and worries or downward slide of your own character when you know what the future is like. To send Wolverine back on almost a diplomatic mission is (laughs) is really the last person. In fact, I'm kind of, he's kind of asking me to do for him what he did for me in X-Men 1, which is not what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And every instinct for me is just to go, oh, sod it, and just go in and, you start know. Start slashing. Start slashing, just take care of it and, you know, get out of there. But that's not going to do the trick. And was it, was, did it feel like a reunion of the old gang or did it feel 100%. Like, yeah. I mean, and, and because Ian and Patrick were doing a play together, we had to shoot that first. Right. So not only cast-wise, and I'll never forget that first day, I woke up with a great feeling, it sort of surprised me, a great feeling of gratitude and kind of wonderment that we were going back to this with that cast and it was particularly special for me because it was my first American movie. So I was quite nervous at first and and I felt very grateful to Brian because that character and the part that he gave me and that group, uh, almost everything I've ever done since has been, you can trace back to that and yeah. the opportunities it's given me. But we, it was a reunion. It was fantastic. There was Hallie pregnant um, every time they called cut, she was like unzipping cut, uh, and she would uh, uh, take a few breaths. Like, Give me a second before we go again. Okay, <laughs> you know she was quite pregnant at the time, and it's yeah, they might have had to CGI a few little bits here and there, yeah. but it was fantastic. I just have this image of Ian and Patrick walking along arm in arm on their way to set, um, and it was terrific. It was really great, and Brian was in a great space. We had a great script. There was a lot of confidence about the project from the beginning. Um, and I was glad we got to do it that way around, to have that reunion first. Yeah. 
I, I was going to say, actually, I, I, I was just on Twitter this weekend admiring pictures of, of Ian and Patrick together. Right. I mean, you've got to try and persuade them during the press tour. I'm sure you're going to see them again soon to just keep taking these ridiculous pictures these all pictures. over the world. Yes, right. You know, whether they're in a play <laughs> together or not, we don't care. We just want more. It's true. They really, they're an amazing kind of couple of friends and actors. And, and I knew them, of course, growing up for me in Australia when I was at drama school, I used to watch the John Barton tapes, these great Shakespearean tapes, which had Ian and Patrick and all David Suchet and all of the great actors, Judy Dench and Ben Kingsley. And so I knew them, these, these people I looked up to. And I knew America didn't really know them. And they knew Patrick from Star Trek. But I was like, you can understand, this is De Niro and Pacino and Heat. This is going to be iconic. And, and it was. And I thought, I remember feeling, in a way, for James and who I knew from Last King of Scotland, to Michael, who I didn't know, Michael, I thought they got massive shoes to fill. Yeah. And I asked Ian and Patrick, actually, how they felt about the guys, and both of them were thrilled. Oh, really? Uh, yes, <laughs> thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. Well, I have to say, I've seen Macbeth on stage twice, and both times it was a Professor X playing Macbeth. Oh, and now Michael right. Fassbender is making the film of it. So you know, right. they're clearly kind of following in the footsteps. So, yeah. You know, it's, it's kind of working together. And you haven't seen Ian McKellen's? I haven't seen Ian McKellen's. It's on, you can get it. It's a BBC yeah. with Judy Dench. It's an incredible production. So I should really probably rank all four together. That would be the thing. You should, do. but don't tell them the answer. No, definitely. No. <laughs> wouldn't dream. Wouldn't dream. Until after the movie's released. <laughs> now, uh, they're already planning X-Men Apocalypse for after yeah. this one, yeah. but Wolverine hasn't been listed for that one yet. What yeah. do you think Wolverine's doing during the 1980s? Is he teaching a jazzercise class That's somewhere? a good point. I just can't see him with... Shoulder pads. No. I can't see that. So, well, that's my era. <laughs> yeah, I can't see him. I, I think he starts to check out around about the 80s with synthesizers, big hair, Rick Astley, wham. It's just not his decade, is it? Big hair maybe, but the big rest hair. of it maybe not so much. <laughs> exactly. I have no idea. But I have spoken to Brian. He, he said there is a place for me there. Um, he's not sure what it is yet. Okay. Yeah. All right. It's very early days, I suppose, very on that early. one. We yeah. should probably leave you until this one's at least yeah. in the can first. I'll tell you a little tidbit about that because he was telling me about Apocalypse and about the history of it, of the character mm-hmm. and where it comes from. And as he was saying it, my son, who's a huge history buff, and I'm not going to tell you which particular part of history it's from. Uh, if you know the comic book, you'll probably know. But he was saying, oh, no, 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 uh, Brian, that's not it. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, it's X, Y, and Z. And Brian turned to me and goes, I think your son's just named the villain of our next movie. So we'll Ooh. see. If that turns out to be true, I'll let you know. Wow. <laughs> that's, uh, that's pretty good. He's giving script notes. And You're right, age, exactly. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about other things you've got coming up? Obviously, there's Chappie. Yes. Have you, have you, what stage are you at with that? So it comes out at the end of this year. We shot just in January now. So he's putting that together. Okay. I was so impressed with Neil and I loved working with him. And this is... Just the wackiest, craziest character I am playing. Um, and he's kind of the bad guy in it. And I loved doing it. It was fantastic. I had so much fun. And I think the movie, I know those fans of District 9 are going to love this movie. It's It's got a lot of humor in it too. And I don't know. I, I really loved it. That's pretty cool. And you're also playing the, the bad guy in Pat. I am, yeah. I'm having so, my little go little, of bad little guys. Moments. Yeah, I'm having my run. He's very charming, kind of loves the sound of his own voice. It's me, really. Uh, <laughs> um, Blackbeard, who is uh, the most feared pirate, but he's a fun villain to play. So this is what I'm growing. The beginnings of what I'm growing. I was going to say, because yeah. is, is this for a pirate or is it just you haven't shaved? No. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is not a choice 
If Imagine are coming out to more like here, like a punch wow. kind of. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We've been rehearsing that this week, actually. Okay. And that's been terrific. Excellent. Nothing like some pirate workshops to get your inner kid back. <laughs> How's your, you know, pirate ah, speech? It's pretty good. That's very ah, good. Thank you very much. <laughs> and you've been uh, enjoying fish and chips as well, so you get into the Yes, British, uh, poppies. Yep. Went to poppies today. Have you been to poppies? I haven't, no. Is I hear it's the second best fish and chips. Second best. And I said, Alfie, who's my driver, he's been my driver for ages. I said, Alfie, what do you mean second best? He goes, oh, governor, number one's in Wandsworth. Didn't think we had time for that. So we went for poppies. Loved Interesting. it. Interesting. Very nice. Bit of cod and chips, bit of vinegar, salt, tartare sauce. Happy days. That was <laughs> about nine made. o'clock this morning. No. <laughs> I've got one more. So uh, if I fall asleep, by the yeah. way, blame poppies. <laughs> uh, one more future project that uh, Chris begged me to ask about: mm. Carousel. Is that still yeah. on your to-do list? Because he's a Liverpool fan, so never. Oh, uh, of course. Is, you know, very close to his heart. You know, I haven't actually heard that project mentioned for about a year, which is not a good sign for Chris. I'm sorry. It. I would love to do it. I'm rapidly maybe getting too old for it, but it, I, uh, it's a very difficult one to sell to studios. I am working, actually, uh, there'll be a movie musical for me happening before that, which I'm doing with Fox, about P.T. Barnum, which is an all-original musical. And I was just discussing it. It's, I'm very excited about it. We've got all-original music, which hasn't been done since, I think, Newsies or Fame. Wow. So, we're, yeah, we're taking on somewhat of a Mount Everest there. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I'm very, very excited about that, yeah. Yeah, that'll be wicked. Well, so we, there need you more, go. we need more movie musicals. There have been a lot of stage adaptations in the last few years, but not that many kind of fresh stuff. That's so. true, yeah. That's good. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm getting the, the nod to wind up. I've just got yeah. one final question. From me. No. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, um, I nodded. Like, he, enough he, of this. He didn't. No. He's being modest again. <laughs> uh, uh, you, in the last couple of X-Men movies, you have been the one to drop the F-bomb. Yes. Are you going to make it a, a, a trio? By the way, I'm dro- I drop it all the time as Wolverine to the point where Brian's like, um, could you just say the lines without swearing? We only have a limit. And, and I did on that cameo. I, I selfishly asked, is anyone else swearing? Because I love this line, but it'll only have real impact if I'm the only one. And so th- it was. But there, are, I do not drop it in this. Oh. Yeah. Okay. And I don't want to tell you who does, do I? No. But it is dropped. Okay. <laughs> yes. That will come as a fact. In a very family-friendly way. Of course. Of course. No, nothing but. <laughs> Hugh Jackman, thank you very, very thank much. You. How was that? It was fun. He's such a nice man. He's so ridiculously charming. It's unreal. Is it true that he has? he's contractually obliged to take his shirt off in every interview? <laughs> um, he made me promise not to say. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's move on to reviews now. Uh, I guess a good place to start would be, would be with the biggie. The return of the X-Men in the time-flipping, head-spinning days of future past in which Wolverine is sent back to 1973 by Charles Xavier, by Professor X and Magneto, played by Patrick Stewart and Amy McKellen, uh, to hook up with young Eric and Charles, played by Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, to avert a disaster that plunges the world into darkness in the year 2023. Now, obviously, we're going to have a massive spoiler special podcast that's up Monday May 26th featuring not only writer-producer Simon Kimberg answering lots of questions about the movie but also us napping about it in huge detail so this review will be fairly short but uh, what did we make of it? 
This is very, very good indeed. Now, it is a complicated setup, and I think people who have skimped on some of their X movies in the past may find themselves briefly confused by what the heck is going on. Heck, if you didn't stay for the post credit scenes in X-Men The Last Stand because you ran from the theatre in horror, uh, you will be confused by the appearance of, in the future, uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen. Who or the Wolverine, out. even. Or the if Wolverine. You, if you missed a Wolverine. True. You will be confused by the, the reappearance of uh, Patrick Stewart's Professor X, Ian McKellen's Magneto, and of course the Wolverine in the future. So this starts off in a world that has been devastated by robots called Sentinels who were brought in to try and get control of the mutant problem, but have essentially destroyed half the globe in their quest to do so, and also have started uh, targeting humans who might have genes that might produce mutants in future. So they've kind of devastated the world's population as well, more than decimated it. And that's where we kind of come into the story in this really, really dark, dark future uh, where the X-Men briefly come back together. They've obviously all been on the run in separate directions. They come back together and they have a plan to send Wolverine's consciousness back in time to his younger self 50 years before and try to avert this future, try to avert a single event which they reckon leads to this future. That event is the assassination of Peter Dinklage's Bolivar Trask by Jennifer Lawrence's Mystique. So Wolverine's consciousness sent back to his younger self to reunite James McAvoy's uh, Charles, I'm just going to call him that for ease of reference, Mm -hmm. and Michael Fassbender's Eric, not Eddie, uh, Eddie. (laughs) to try and convince Mystique to change her plan and save the future. That's the setup. That's complicated enough. You've also got huge (laughs) numbers of characters who feature, they they span the whole sort of ex-franchise to date, including, of course, First Class, but also introduce some new characters as well who all get sort of grace moments but maybe not huge amounts of character development I think it's fair to say Confused you, you won't will be, be actually I don't think you will be because no, I true. think this movie is really well scripted really really elegantly directed uh, it, uh, it was a relief to me because I've been on sets of movies and seen a lot of stuff and come away going, oh, wow, that looks really, really cool. I hope this this turns out okay. And then they turn out to be clunkers. Uh, this is not the case. I think this is having rewatched X-Men 2 the second best X-Men movie. Agree, yeah. It is, I love X-Men First Class, but for me this is better, it's deeper, yeah. it's it's uh, surprisingly fun given that it starts off with pretty much the entire world in darkness and uh, and uh, mutants being killed left, right and centre. And it's just got this real sense of momentum and energy and emotion to it, which, which, I, which I really, really liked. And the clarity of storytelling here, given that... Uh, a lesser director could have got bogged down in this is is phenomenal. It is very good, yeah. The the scripting, I mean, full marks to Kimberg, who, as well, you'll you'll hear in the spoiler podcast in a few days, as well as actually having made a film that makes sense in itself, he also has clear explanations in his head of things that are off screen. This is a guy who has thought about it in depth and it mm. really pays off on in the film, I think, as well. And of course, uh, as you'll also hear in the spoiler podcast, uh, Simon Kimberg was also involved with X-Men First Class, but also X-Men The Last Stand. He was one of the writers in X-Men The Last Stand. And this is also almost his apology uh, as he says in our spotter podcast uh, his his mea culpa for um, uh, for the last stand for uh, getting the Dark Phoenix storyline spectacularly wrong and I think this is a, a nice apology apology accepted Simon apology <laughs> accepted performances are great uh, across the board yeah. surprisingly Wolverine is the the lead of the movie as you might expect but he's not the emotional focus of the movie it's James McAvoy's uh, Charles Xavier, who carries a lot of the emotional weight mm. of this film, and I think McAvoy is phenomenal in this film. Mm. Phenomenal. It's, it's, uh, it's weird. It's almost like uh, Charles is the Wolverine character, yeah, and Wolverine is the Professor X character. It's very odd to watch, yeah. and it's kind of if you're a Wolverine fan, there is that caveat though. He, you're not really seeing 
the Wolverine we're used to seeing in this film. It's a different Wolverine. It's an odd one. Yeah. And I was a l- it's not a big criticism, but I was a little disappointed that apart from one particular scene, there wasn't that Wolverine-iness that I'd like to see. I think this was 100% the Wolverine we know and love, honestly. I, but I don't, I don't think he has to be berserk all the time to be Wolverine. So no, maybe this is... passionate. Well, yes, he does. But I think he is, but he's, you know, he's keeping it for, for reasons you'll hear in yeah, the script. He's, yeah. he's kind of having he to keep it He has to be restrained. Rug. Yeah. And that's almost a shame. I would like to say that the stand-up scene for me, or one of the stand-up scenes was involving a character people were most worried about, which is Quicksilver. They thought that this super-fast character who who was revealed on our front cover wearing a pair of obviously 70s-style goggles and a Pink Floyd T-shirt and a silvery jacket looked a bit dweeby, I guess. I don't know what the real objection was. They just didn't like the way he looked. But he runs away with it. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. That joke was good. Uh, (laughs) So, yeah, look forward to his bits. Mm. He's not in it for a long time, but when he is in it, he is a riot. He certainly is. Uh, it's great seeing the old X-Men back on screen. Patrick Stewart, uh, Ian McKellen, Halle Berry, Ellen Page. You know, it, it, it is very, very good seeing these guys again. It, 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 it evokes a very nice, warm, nostalgic glow. Uh, and the new mutants, as you said, Helen, they do get little things to do. Bishops and Sunspot and Warpath and Blink. But they're basically just there to display new powers. Blink was which, great, I thought. Yeah, the, 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 the visualisation of her power. Yeah. I absolutely yeah. love that. We don't get a sense of them as characters, so. But to be fair, if you did, this movie would be four hours long. It would never end. Should you spend your money to go and see this on the first weekend? And is this important for me to see ASAP? Well, I said a similar thing for Captain America The Winter Soldier. This is a must-watch movie if you care about this franchise because your friends will immediately want to talk to you about it. And if you're a notorious X-head, then they'll want to talk to you about it. It's a film that you walk out straight away and go, hang on, wait, what, huh, how, mm, uh, ah. And this is where the spoiler podcast is going to hopefully yeah. go down well. But if you're interested in X-Men, go and watch it as soon as you can. Pay that 16 quid 50. I saw it on IMAX. I was lucky enough to get uh, the opportunity to see it on IMAX, and I really benefited from that, from my perspective. Seeing the future scape, this hum- humongous screen, I love yeah. that. No, this is definitely the biggest X-Men movie to date. Uh, I think it's brilliantly acted. The action set pieces are great. There's a there's a lovely set piece uh, in the Pentagon. There's another one in Paris. and it, it just, But it doesn't fall into that blockbuster trap of thinking bigger is better, necessarily. There's scale by the end, definitely. Mm. But the emotional stakes were ratcheted up more, I would say, than the uh, the physical stakes, rather than things being blown up and things being smashed into other things, which so many blockbusters, even Captain America 2, which I which I think is fantastic, does fall foul of. Hello. Just to put a tiny caveat in here, um, I think it's a great, I think it's a great, great movie. I really enjoyed it. I do, I do think there were a few things that could have been done better. I thought Mystique was a little bit shortchanged. Some of her uh, decisions in the last act, which I obviously won't talk about don't make any sense as far as I can see and I thought that was a little bit of a weakness She, I, I feel like she is a little bit more of a MacGuffin than a character at times and I wish that she could have been a character throughout because I think that would have worked better overall I still really like it actually there was one element of this, this, this film in the casting of it that I really admired and I really liked I really liked the fact that they cast Peter Dinklage as Trask and the fact you know that he's a, a dwarf never came up it was just, just, just there. Was, they just cast him. It was, it was never in the script. There's no recognition of it. And I think, you know, maybe this is the start of uh, a, a new era in the same way that, you know, now you can actually cast people who aren't necessarily the race that you were expecting the character to be and it not be a talking point. So I, should, I thought that was an encouraging move. And stay until the very, very, very end of the credits. Mm. There is a sting. It is there. But you've got to wait for it. Yes. 
there might be a problem with people who are not that invested in the film possibly watching it with people who are who will be loving it and roaring at moments that are very not as good as a wing you know hat tippy and that kind of thing it's still worth seeing though you may feel slightly out of the loop it's still worth seeing yeah i, I do wonder what people who haven't seen any of the previous x-men movies will feel going into this because it plunges you straight in and it presumes knowledge which i always think is a slightly dangerous thing for yeah, a movie but i kind of love it at the same time i love presumed knowledge but at the same yeah, time we're seven films in yes yeah, seven so but I think this is this is as good as the seventh installment of a franchise can be. Four stars for X-Men Days of Future Past. And let's move on now. Uh, Blended, which is the third leg of the ongoing rom-com union of Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler. So does this one urinate merrily on the good vibes and memories of The Wedding Singer? Or even just slightly punch the nose of Fifty First States, which wasn't that bad? Your, your question, therefore, is, is Blended splendid? Is it splendid? Uh, splendid isn't the word I'd probably use. No, um, this is uh, so. The setup is basically that you've got two single parents. Uh, Barrymore's character is Lauren, Sandler is Jim, and they go on this terrible first date. They go on this date. It couldn't be worse. They're clearly never going to see each other again, except that they then end up in a bizarre twist on holiday at the same resort with their respective families, and they're kind of thrown together. And wouldn't you know it? What happens? Well, I mean, this is going to shock you, Dan, but hold on to your seat because what? there's a bit of a romance develops. What? Between who? Between them. And no. they had that bad first date. No way. And they go to Africa. <laughs> like Batman v Superman. Yeah, they go to Africa. They go to South Africa. You'll, if you've ever been to South Africa, you'll probably know this huge industrial complex of Africanness, which is called Sun City which is all about the traditional trappings of, of, of tribal Africa. And they're there and they romp around and they're elephants and they get into a cheeky situation involving a parachute and, you know, other extreme activities. Safaris happen and the kids say things that are inappropriate, inappropriate times. And that sounds like an innuendo. Yeah, so it's not brilliant. It's certainly not the wedding singer good. I wouldn't even say it's 51st States good. I mean, you know, I think... Barrymore's presence makes Sandler more bearable than he is in, say, Growing Ups, um, where he's pretty much totally unbearable. Uh, but it's still not quite funny enough. There is a bit where Drew Barrymore vomits French onion soup all over her chest. Well, exactly. So, yeah, we gave this two stars. No, why? It sounds great. <laughs> Give him more stars. Can we do that? Hack into the mainframe. No. I, I really have a soft spot for Adam Sandler and he's just on this horrible run of mediocrity slash sheer eye-gouging awfulness and I don't think he's going to pull out of it. Such a shame. Such a shame. Um, speaking of eye-gouging awfulness, <laughs> we don't have a review? Oh, Folks from Pat the Movie? Uh, no, they have not allowed us to see it. Uh, there was a premiere. <clears throat> what I will say, yeah, because we can't review this film, but no. I just want you to know before you go and see it with your kids or mm -hmm. by yourself, whatever, it involves evil robot Pats, evil robot postman Pats, and it also involves a, a Simon Cowell character called Simon Cowbell, <laughs> who does a X Factor style show that Postman Pat is part of. And will we be more Cowbell at the end of it? Probably not. Oh, I, no. I, yeah, every, big Jesse. Every, everything I've heard about this is very good. Everything I've heard about this film is that it actually manages to get. You're getting Postman Pat wrong! Postman Pat is about. Jesse getting lost or a piece of post not getting to the right door. This is about robots and a singing competition. Everyone knows there's no point having a movie unless it's got robots, aliens, <laughs> monsters, superheroes, 
pirates or singing in it. Everybody knows is actually that's from Fireman Sam. Sam's the hero next door. Out of those, I would actually accept pirates, but I'm not sure about the rest. Anyway, so we haven't seen the film. That is not a review. The review will be up shortly. That's all the time we have, I'm afraid. Uh, for that is it for this week's Empire Podcast in association with Squarespace. Join us next week for more film-related fun. We'll be joined by Doug Lyman, the director of Edge of Tomorrow and its sequel, Larry Mullen Jr. of next week. Any, anyone? <laughs> Charity anyone? laugh, Chris. Charity laugh. That. Uh, Sam Riley, who's one of the stars of Maleficent, will also be dropping into the pod booth. Uh, you've done that already. That's that's good fun. That's in the bag. Uh, we'll be discussing those movies and much more besides. I just also want to remind you guys, as I reminded you guys last week, still 18 quid if you go to the website to so subscribe for 12 issues. But I've organised for people who don't live in the UK, 10% off international orders if you want to subscribe. And you use the code EPODCAST on the checkout. EPODCAST. We're just trying to organise it for... I know a lot of people don't live in the UK and they listen to this podcast. So here's to you. Otherwise, new subscribers, 18 quid for a year of the Empire. Yes. Um, so that's exciting. You have one week left. Next Thursday will be when the super special Soraway excellent 300th issue will be off sale. So you haven't picked it up already. You've got until then to buy it. I'll pick it up and then buy it. Yes, do Don't, don't pick just it pick it up and then put it down again. Or buy it and leave it there. That would also be a waste. Yeah, but yeah. do buy it. That's the main thing we're trying to tell you. The important you. thing is that you should buy it and give us five stars it. and tell us we're great and buy us presents. Anyway, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from... Ali. That's, yeah, it's Ali. By the way, fact fans, if you love facts, listen to the new QI facts. podcast. Uh, QI elves are doing a podcast which has been going for a little while now and it's excellent. It's called No Such Thing as a Fish and it's just full of facts, full of lovely, tasty, juicy facts. Just, just go have a listen. Do you just plug another podcast as I'm saying goodbye? Uh, yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, uh, well, I just finished this one. So. Yeah, fair enough. People stop listening by now anyway. Uh, it's goodbye from Dan. I'd like to go now. Awesome. Uh, and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to project my consciousness into my younger self and tell myself not to go see Project X. See you next week. Bye.